Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Now, if you don't have a Bible, please, please grab one of those in a seat around you. We're on page 811, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. All right, today uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, our time together in your word this morning. Um, thank you for, for what this word teaches us. Um, Lord, would you um, help our hearts and our minds um, just be awakened to um, not only the the really the, the beauty and the, the freedom in your teaching, um, but the, the beauty and the freedom that is found um, just in the, the person of Jesus. Would you just give us a, a really clear um, understanding of that, um, that, that the Savior that we, that we follow, the Savior that has given his life for us is a, is a beautiful, loving, gracious um, Savior, um, who invites all to come. Um, and and as, as the book of John says, that whoever comes, uh, you will not cast out. Um, and so, Lord, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, uh, may, they, may they sense um, and experience um, the, the uncasting out-ness of, um, of our Savior. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, the great thing about prayer is you can make up words like uncasting outness, right? Um, and Jesus knows what you mean. So um, it's like I was speaking in tongues there for a second. He, he knows. So uh, Matthew 5, 43 through 48, it's a big text. In fact, I've got two Bibles up here this morning, all right? Um, not because they contradict one another, but because we're going to kind of look at some different translations. Um, this is a, a King James Version Bible that my grandfather gave me just a few years ago, um, and I'm looking forward to to just digging into to the word this morning. And so in communicating to a people, um, in, a, in, a, in communicating to a people in a context like this, there are all kinds of approaches and tips. And so um, I've, I've been part of preaching cohorts and, and um, over the last two years or so with our, with, our, with our men. And by the way, we have a lady now that joins us on Wednesday morning. So men and women at 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, you're welcome to join us uh, to just study the word. We study our, our upcoming text every week. And so that's, that's what we do um, is we get in the room and we just go over it. Um, and so there's all kinds of approaches and tips and, and pointers on how to communicate things well and communicate things poignantly, um, whether that be monologue or dialogue, you know, is, is, is kind of this one guy standing up here teaching others the best way to do it, maybe for some, maybe, maybe for others, no. Is it a dialogue where it's more conversational? Um, is it, are you a visual or auditory uh, um, uh, listener or learner? Um, are you a notes or no notes person? For me, a lot of times the, the, the wrestle is, am I a manuscript or an outline or 
uh, or a no-notes guy memorization. Um, but, but earlier this week, I read something by a, by a leadership guru um, who, who communicates a lot. Um, I, I read something by him that in the context of how notes are used, and it said this, if you want to communicate something powerfully, don't memorize it, understand it. Understand what you're, you're saying. Understand what you're hearing. Um, and so it, with all the different methods and, 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 and approaches to note-taking and communicating and all those things, all those, can be, all those things can be great, but if you don't understand what you're saying and you don't believe what you're communicating, then something very important's missing. <laughs> and so uh, that is my prayer for us today as a church. My prayer for me as the one with the responsibility and the privilege of preaching this passage um, and that us as a body, that we would really allow this text to sink into us. Um, I, I've, I've gone back, I've wrestled with notes all week. In fact, I made the late decision this morning. This is so rare and archaic. I've got paper notes this morning. I'm not really a paper notes guy, but here I got my notes. And you're like, okay, how many pages you got? And I've got four, okay? So don't count the number of times that I move a page, all right? Don't, don't pay atten- any attention to that because I may trick you some, okay? Um, but, my, but my prayer this morning even though I've got my notes and I've got my study, the most important and crucial thing that we need today is not eloquence, is not hot takes, is not you know, some sort of worldly understanding, but what we need, church, and I know we're mostly Baptists in here, and so I might freak you out a little bit here, but what we need is we need like a supernatural movement of the Holy Spirit of God to help us to understand what he's saying because we've got all kinds of voices in our lives and in our world right now who who are serving as barriers to what Jesus is teaching here. Uh, We've got all kinds of things in our world that if not for the Holy Spirit of God, in a lot of different ways, by the way, the Holy Spirit does a lot. You know that, right? He He clarifies things. He illuminates things. He also convicts. And so maybe there's some conviction and there's some repentance and some confession that need to happen that, Lord, like I just need to put all those things that I hear every day on the news aside and just zone in on what my Savior's saying today. And so we need this really supernatural movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives to reveal, our, to reveal to our hearts these truths and open our eyes to what Jesus is teaching here. And so can we do that? Can we pray together? Would you, maybe just for a moment, maybe you haven't prayed all week, maybe you haven't prayed all year, but there's something really important in this moment that we need to just come before the Lord and say, Lord, would you just help me understand? Would you help me be attentive? Would you help me respond? Whether that be in my heart, whether that be in an action that needs to take place, whether that needs to be in, in something. I don't know what that is because remember, like I said at the beginning of this, I'm not your Holy Spirit. Would you just ask the Holy Spirit to do that? Let's pray. Father, as is the case, um, every moment we come to your word, um, we need uh, the the spirit of God to um, illumine to us the things that you, your word says. Um, There is something um, deeply complex um, in one way to what is taught, but also something profoundly simple um, in what what is taught today from your word. Um, and so, Lord, would you make um, the, 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 the complex things simple 
um, and, and not, not um, allow me to be a barrier um, to, to, to the simple, the simplicity um, and the simple calling of what it, what it is to follow Jesus. Um, and, and would you, um, again, Lord, you're, we need your spirit to, to awaken our hearts and our minds to, to, to what your word says. Um, we love you. We thank you for this time together in your word. And uh, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So the great preacher, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, if you've never heard of him, he would be someone worth looking up. But the great preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, calls this passage, uh, this small text at the end of Matthew 5, one of the greatest and most glorious things that are to be found in Christ's teaching. Uh, this is one of the most glorious and greatest things that are to be found in the teaching of Jesus. And in the context of Christ's teaching here in Matthew chapter 5, um, and the shift that may take place going into Matthew chapter 6, which we'll do next week, it certainly seems that in this passage it has reached a little bit of a climax. And so at the beginning of this passage in Matthew 5, you've got Jesus saying something pretty crazy that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the way that this, if we want to put a section on this, the way this section ends is, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so there seems to be some kind of nudge from Jesus that, hey, this is what we're getting after here. This is, this is what we're moving. And we, of course, cannot disconnect this passage from the section that precedes it that Thomas a few weeks ago did, did taught us so well on a few weeks ago in regards to retaliation. Um, so if we do disconnect these sections in our minds, the section on retaliation and the section on loving our enemies, then what we are left with is only the negative and the things that we're not to do, right? Uh, don't hit back. Don't return an insult. Don't do this. Don't do this. But the gospel and, and the teachings of Jesus are not only negative, and I don't say that in like a, a bad way, the gospel or the teaching of Jesus are bad, but he doesn't only approach things from the negative of don't do this, he is gracious and good in giving us the positive and this is what you are to do. We see that all throughout the, the, the epistles of Paul, right? Run from this, but pursue this, right? Put these things off, but put these things on, and so it's not, not only about what we avoid, but the Christian life is about what we pursue as well. And so that's, I think, what Jesus is doing a little bit here. And so let's read, let's just start into this passage. And here's the deal. We're not gonna get all, the, we're not gonna hit every single line in this passage this morning. Um, and, and, and you'll see that here in just a minute. But this is what verse 43 says. Let's read. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so it's vital for us to maintain. If you've been here with us, you'll remember this. If you have not, then it's a fresh reminder for you. But one thing that we will maintain in our understanding of what's going on in this passage that we've tried to communicate each week is that Jesus is not correcting the Old Testament. Um, he's not addressing the inspired writings of the Old Testament when he says, you've heard it was said, but I say to you. No, what he is addressing is the misinterpretation or the misapplications of what the religious leaders have begun teaching. And so they have, they, they've made all sorts of implications and made all sorts of assumptions on, okay, if this, then that. And it seems to be at some level that um, these, see, you just saw me flip my page, pay attention. Um, we, we just, what, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to distract you. Maybe none of you did that and I'm just distracting you. 
We know this, we know that he's not correct in the Old Testament because nowhere in the Old Testament do you find you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Search it, it's not there. Um, now, uh, what you certainly do find throughout the Old Testament that maybe you're like, well, you know, what about this? What you certainly do find throughout the Old Testament is instances where God commands destruction on people. He commands destruction on certain nations and on, on certain people groups. And in fact, there were specific commands from God about destroying nations and, and not even showing kindness to the evildoers. He tells people, don't even, don't even show kindness to them. And so we, have, we, we also have the presence of these, one of the questions oftentimes that we ask, maybe in our flesh a little bit, is, hey, David prayed in precatory psalms. Can I pray in precatory psalms on the person that I don't like? Well, we'll address that a little bit. But we have the presence of imprecatory psalms in the Old Testament. What imprecatory psalms essentially means is that you'll find psalms where the writer is essentially praying for, calling for destruction on his enemies. Um, and so, Lord, just wipe them out. Or, Lord, why haven't you wiped them out? Or, Lord, send destruction on them. And so these can be hard realities to reconcile. We can't answer all the questions that we have about the Bible this morning because there's probably a lot of questions about the Bible, right? Um, we have a lot of questions about the Bible. What we stand on is that the Bible is sufficient, authoritative, inerrant, um, and infallible. That's what we stand upon. And a conversation will happen over that in a place other than this. But we all have all sorts of questions. We're not going to address them all this morning. But um, what I do believe is that there are some things that we can know with clarity, what Jesus does throughout Matthew 5, um, when he makes a simple statement, but I say to you, um, what we can know with clarity is that Jesus speaks for God and as God. Jesus is God. He is himself Lord. That if you have seen the Father, or I can't remember how he says that. How, do, how does he say it? Totally mixed up right now. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, Colossians 1, Paul goes into, here's why we can trust Jesus as, as God that he is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so what we know is that Jesus speaks for God as God. Um, and we know that it is an impossibility for Jesus to contradict God because Jesus cannot contradict himself. He does not contradict himself. He does not con contradict his father, nor does he contradict the written word. We see that in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Um, and so Jesus cannot do that. And then the third thing we can know with certainty is this, is that you and I are deeply limited in our understanding. We are deeply limited in certain areas. And so all of these things, we're not gonna address this morning. Um, these are conversations to be had. But, but simply put, how I believe that we should understand these instances in the Old Testament where God does clearly identify and call for action against his enemies is from what Martin Lloyd-Jones calls as a judicial standpoint. He, he calls on these things as the judge. He calls on these things as someone who will pour out wrath and judgment on those who do evil. And simply put, God has the prerogative to do things that mankind does not. We cannot do these kinds of things without the authority from God. And in the Old Testament, as we see over and over again, these things are coming from a judicial motive from God to pour wrath out on evil and evil doers even. And so, and so in every instance throughout the Old Testament, nations that were destroyed or that were in danger of being destroyed, they were giving, given multiple opportunities to repent. They were given prolonged seasons. I mean, look at the book of Jonah. 
Look what the book of Jonah is, is that even before the book of Jonah, prophecy has been proclaimed that the Ninevites will be destroyed, right? And in the end, Nineveh, Nineveh is destroyed. But what does God do in the meantime? He sends Jonah to them to preach a message of repentance for them to turn. And so in each of these instances, in each of these times where nations and peoples are destroyed, they were given multiple opportunities by a merciful, loving, saving God to repent, to turn from their wicked ways, to worship God as the one true God. And so the destruction of the enemies of God was followed by prolonged seasons of being called to repentance. And as an act of final judgment, as an act of final judgment, God destroyed many of them because of their, like we see this phrase all throughout the scriptures, is their own hardness of hearts and their own unrepentance. And the religious leaders, what Jesus is saying here, you've heard it said, love your enemies or love your neighbor and hate your enemies is that essentially the religious leaders had just taken it upon themselves to take these instances in the Old Testament and take, again, multiple challenging and complex things that are said by God, but they had, they had taken upon themselves the authority to, to, to deduct all of this into a statement that likely was what Jesus says here, love your enemies and, sorry, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. And so the religious leaders did not draw a very vital distinction, and you've got to hear this. The religious leaders did not draw this vital distinction that God is judge and we are not. That God is the judge and we are not. That God is the exactor and the enactor of justice. And that we, unless God grants us the authority, we see throughout the New Testament that God has placed certain spheres in place to, to execute justice, right? But un, unless... God himself grants to these spheres the, the sword and the place that this is not a place for us. And what these religious leaders had done is they had just become, they had become the judge. They took this judicial principle and they implemented it everywhere. They, they implemented it um, so, so far that they destroyed the very foundation. Listen, catch this. They destroyed the very foundation and the principle of God's law, which was What? Love, love for God and love for one another. And we've, we've talked about this over and over again. I mean, Jesus is asked, what's the most important, you know, in all the commandments? Love God and love your neighbor. That's what all the law and the prophets hang upon. And what the, what the religious leaders had done is they had missed that. They had, they had missed that. And so one way that you might put this is that they ignored what was clear, what should have been clear to them, the law of love, and they took the liberty to make false implications on God. Almost this, if God is this, then he must be this. And Jesus is saying, not really. Not, that, that may be your limited, finite idea of who God is, and that may be your, the own implications that you have drawn, but, the, but Jesus is saying, says something different, and we're gonna get into that. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, but I say to you, read here in verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is, 
is really kind and gracious to us here in not only correcting us, but holding our hands, as it were, and showing us how, as a good, loving shepherd does, to obey his commands, right? He not only says, don't do this, he says, pursue this. He not only says, hey, flee the darkness, but he shows you where the light is. And so that's what, that's what Jesus is doing here. He tells us exactly what he means and precisely how he expects us to live this out. And I brought along my King James Version because some of y'all's versions may read a little bit differently. You're, you, you heard us read that. Look how big these letters are. Like, you can tell my grandpa gave it to me because, you know, he was, you know. So Matthew chapter five, I, I love the way that the King James, and if you, if you kind of have questions right now about translations, then you can ask Kevin, okay, and not me. Um, but Matthew chapter five, verse 44 says this. Here's what Matthew four says, or Matthew five forty four. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And so, man, how good is Jesus? Because we're all how people, right? We're all why people. There's books written on like, tell people why. But a lot of us are more how people than why people, right? Um, Jesus gives us the why in a minute, by the way. But he first, I think he first gives us the how. Um, and I'm kind of a how person. It's like, okay, you tell, me how to, you tell me what I need to do. Tell me how I need to do it. Give me the tools that I need to do. I'm a doer, okay? But, he, but So that's what Jesus does for us here. And it's just real simple. We're not gonna complicate it this morning. In fact, I'm not gonna spend much time on each of these, but this is what he says. You wanna know how to love your enemies? You wanna know what it looks like to, to, to love your enemies? This is what it looks like. And guys, please, let us not theorize this. Let this not be theoretical. You know what I'm saying there? Like, don't just let it be an idea. Like, quick little rabbit trail. The, the whole love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. We love that chapter. It's like, it was probably, probably read in 99% of y'all's weddings, right? It's one thing to, to, to know love as an idea. It's another thing for it to be put into practice, isn't it? It's, a, it's one thing to say, oh, baby, you know, you know, we're going on our honeymoon tonight. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it's another thing when you're 10, 20 years in, love is patient, love is kind, right? So let us not be theoretical in our reading. Let us, again, let the Holy Spirit work through our eyes and our minds now as we read these and think very tangibly, hey, who who, does, who is God calling me to live this way towards? There's, a, there's probably a very specific person. And it may be a person you know personally. It may be someone you don't know personally. But, but he tells us how. First is this. Bless them that curse you. Jesus tells us how. How are we to love our enemies? We don't just love our enemies by saying that we love our enemies. We love our enemies by actively blessing those who curse us. We love our enemies by doing good to those who hate us. We love our enemies by praying for those who despitefully use you and who persecute you. 
And so Jesus gives us the how, and then he gives us, I think, the why in verse verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In this way, in, in, in blessing those who curse you and doing good to those who hate you and praying for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, Jesus says, in this way, you look like your father. This is how you look like your father. Hey, some of you may have no desire whatsoever to look like your earthly father, right? From a, from a variety of, of ways. Some of you have, may have no desire, but can I tell you that it should be all our desires as children of God to look like our heavenly father, amen? It should be our desire. Jesus is assuming that here. He is assuming that children of God want to look like children of God and they want to look like their father. He doesn't call that into question. He is assuming there. And so there's three things um, that, that, are, that I think are implications from this. First of all, when you do this, when you love your enemies by blessing them that curse you and doing good to those who hate you and praying for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, in this way, first, you look like your savior. So he says you look like your father, but first we're gonna say you look like Christ. And, and, and here's why I say that, because from the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus, what did he do? Prayed for his enemies. He prayed to the Father for his enemies. Look at Luke chapter 23, verse 34. If you have time to get there, I'll get there here in just a second. Luke 23, 34. What does Jesus say there? And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So in loving your enemies, you look like your savior. By the way, here's something that maybe I should have said first. The big mistake that we might make here in this text as we understand and read this, the biggest mistake that we might make here is is not understanding that at one time we were the enemies of God. And that's a massive mistake because if we don't understand that one time we were alienated and we were enemies of God, but that Christ died for us while we were still enemies, we won't have any hope of understanding what this means. You just, you don't. I'm saying that definitively. You will not know what this means. And so the the big mistake is that we forget that at one time we were enemies of God and that God in his mercy, as he did in the Old Testament time and time again, that God in his mercy withheld judgment on us and saved us. So that's massive. So the first thing is you look like your savior. Secondly, I really enjoy this. I mean, I obviously enjoy that first one. We all wanna be like Jesus, right? But this, is, this will be a fun thing for you to, to study and look at. The second thing is you look like those closest to Jesus. You look like those who were closest to the life and the ministry of Jesus. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite examples is uh, Stephen in the book of Acts. Acts chapter seven, verse 60. Sometime go read, go read his story. But Acts chapter seven, verse 60, the very end of the chapter, Stephen is being stoned and killed for his faith in Christ. And what does he do? Stephen, falling to his knees, cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is the Bible's way of saying he dead. He died. He died. And so Stephen, being martyred, prayed for those who are stoning him. And then as Jesus says, and we'll, we'll, we'll move on in this text here. So you look like your savior, you look like those closest to Jesus. Ultimately, what Jesus says here is you look like your father. You look like your father. So, so let's read 45 and 46 again. I'm sorry, just 45. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You, you want to be a son or a daughter that looks like your heavenly father? Simple as this. Love your enemies. Simple, right? Not simple. We're, we're a family, we can be honest. This is, not, this is not simple. But that's what this text is saying, that you look like your father when you love those the world tells you you ought to hate. You look like your father when you love those who the world tells you you ought to hate. Hey, notice what Jesus doesn't do here. So some of you are like a little bit like, okay, well, you know, what about, you know, what about, what about, what about? Notice what Jesus doesn't do here. Jesus doesn't avoid calling evil people evil in this text, does he? He says, he says, um, he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. Jesus isn't just like some, you know, happy-go-lucky universalist, you know, like saving everybody, right? Jesus acknowledges here, and he will later. It's just not the, it's not the point of this text. He acknowledges that that evil exists and that evil must be addressed and that wickedness must be, um, must be punished. And so Jesus doesn't avoid calling, people, uh, avoid calling evil people evil or unjust people unjust. God is not calling for us to be indifferent or unzealous for justice. In fact, it is a mark of a disciple to be about justice, Right? and to work towards justice and, to, and to, to move towards justice in this world, in this society, in our culture, in our world, in our nation. He calls us to do that. So he's not in, in, in the slightest calling us to be indifferent towards justice or evil. But can I also say something that's true? And I say something that's also true. Authentic Christianity is not expressed as often as we think by a zeal against the enemies of God. Authentic Christianity, as, as much as we think and as, 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 as trigger happy as we are, right? Not, that's, not, that's not about guns, by the way, so you can keep your guns, everybody. Um, authentic Christianity, it, it is not expressed as often as we think by a zeal against the enemies of God. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Amen, so like we're, like we're ready to go out and like, Storm hell with a water pistol, right? Which needs to happen. Hope it happens. But Jesus is teaching something here that later on he's going to kind of come back to and say is the most important of all things. And he's, again, remember, he's telling us what this looks like here. He, so, so this isn't just my ideas or my thoughts. This is Jesus is saying, bless them that curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. And so authentic Christianity is marked by what Jesus says here, and he will say again, by love for our neighbors and love for our enemies. And again, I know I've said this a million times, he tells us what it looks like to love our enemies. 
And so it's important to, to be reminded in this text, not everyone will be saved. That's not what Jesus is saying when he's, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna talk about what this might mean here in just a minute, but not everyone will be saved. Many will surely see the judgment of God, won't they? That's what we believe here, at least. We believe in a, in a heaven and a hell. We believe that they're both eternal. We, bo- we believe they're both real places. Many will see the judgment of God. And this certainly is not saying that all will be saved. And look, look, if you look really hard at the text, it's not even talking about spiritual blessings here. It's talking about physical blessings. He says rain. He doesn't say R-E-I-G-N, like, you know, the rain of God. No, he's talking about like the stuff that we need now in Oklahoma. He, he, he allows the rain to fall on the just or the unjust, or he withholds the rain from the just and the unjust, Right? And so it's not as if we're better or more holy or more worthy. No, what, what, what he's talking about here with this physical reign, what he, what he does say is that God is showing grace to people who don't deserve it. So he says, so, so, so read this in context of what he's saying is that God is showing grace to people who, deserve, who don't deserve it, to people who hate him, that God is doing good to all. So Jesus says, love your enemies, and the reason why he says what he says here is because, is because God loves his enemies. God is pouring rain down on the just and the unjust, the evil and the unevil. We we're just making up words this morning, remember? And so he's saying, this is how you look like your father, by doing good to all people, because God does good to all people. Hey, something really important to, to understand in this conversation is what Paul will later say is that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against the, the, the spirit of the darkness of the, the prince of the power of the air is what, he, what he, the prince of the power of the air is what he calls them in Ephesians 2. And so do we, do we long for God to make things right? Yes, are we the exactors and the enactors of God's wrath and God's justice? No, God is. He tells us that over and over and over again. What he tells us to do is to love our enemies by blessing those who curse you, by doing good to those who hate you, and to pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Let's read these final three verses. These final three verses say, for a few, and, and, and the great thing about these three verses is they're, I think they're somewhat simple to understand. There's some context to them that's important, but we just don't have time this morning. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Church family, this is, this is what we as kingdom citizens are called to, even in this moment, even in this incredibly difficult moment. It's difficult, isn't it, right now? It's difficult out there, isn't it? It's really difficult. But this teaching is for us. This is for us. This isn't just some future vision of one day when Jesus comes back. This is for us today to obey, to pursue. And, the, and, and maybe this is better news. Maybe this is a little bit better news 
And it's this, and I wanna remind you, church family, of something extremely important that we often forget. We can be like this. We, so maybe you're thinking like, so, so, so maybe some preachers that you've heard is like, well, the whole point of this is just to show you that you can't and that you need a savior. In one way, yes, this ought to point us straight to Jesus, which we'll get to in just a second. But the, the good news this morning, church family, is that the spirit of the living God dwells within you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. And for us to just throw our hands up and just kind of dismiss the idea of loving our enemies because we're sinners and we just, surely that's not the ideal for today is ignoring what the Bible says about the spirit of God that dwells within us. The the Bible says that the spirit grants to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So that means that there's a reason why the spirit dwells in you and it's to help you follow and obey Jesus. And are we gonna do it perfectly? No, but by the spirit of God, through the fruit that the spirit produces, we are given this and we are without excuse in not pursuing this. We're without excuse. And so along with that reality, there's, there's not one of us here who at some point is confronted by our propensity to not live into this, right? I mean, surely like all of us in some way are thinking like, man, I've failed here, right? <laughs> I, have, I have failed in this, maybe, maybe even some of you are feeling condemned. I feel condemned at times on this, but the truth of the whole scriptures is that, here's, here's the beautiful thing about this passage that I think Jesus is gonna spell out throughout the rest of the book and that certainly the whole counsel of God will tell us. But the truth of the whole of scriptures is not only that God makes the sun rise and the rain fall on the just and the unjust in some common practical way, but can I just tell you something? God will and can do so much more than that if you'll turn yourself to him. Hey, the rain and the sun are great things, right? We need them. Can I tell you something? You need something more than that. And, and God won't only give rain. The, the good news is God won't only give rain and sun. He'll give you something better. He'll give you something better that he has sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die the death that I deserve while I was an enemy of his. Remember, place yourself in this enemy category because at one time, this is where we were. But he sent his son to die the death that I deserve so that I could be saved. And the word Jesus Christ himself is so good in that this is what he offers, that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So hey, this rain, sun talk that Jesus gives here is, is, is in a category that some theologians like to call the common grace of God. Hey, every single person on this planet is a recipient of the common grace of God, right? I mean, the, the grace of God at some level. If you wanna call it that, you don't have to, but there's kind of this common grace. In fact, this morning, Gabe, my son, was up early and he decided to come to church with me. And I just, we were just talking. I said, have you, have you prayed this? Have you thanked God for waking you up? He was like, no. I was like, I, I told him, I said, well, you could have died in your sleep. He was like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh man, this is going bad. This is going bad. He's gonna go to sleep every night thinking this. And so I may have not approached that well, but hey, God sends the rain and the sun on the just and the unjust, but the better news is that he has sent his son, Jesus, so that we all may know him while we were enemies of him. 
And so what condemnation will do, will do in your heart, what condemnation will do in your heart is it will take a message like this and cause us to question the love of God. It will, cause, it will call into question in your mind the love of God for us. That's what condemnation does. Does God love me? Does, does God, is, is God's love for me genuine or is my love for him genuine? And can I just say, there's, sometimes there's, a, there's a, a fine line, at least in our limited minds, between condemnation and conviction. Some of us are maybe under conviction and need to be. Some of us are, and, and I've been there, I've been there with you, okay? Like, it's, this isn't just, I'm not just calling conviction on you. Some of us are under conviction and we need to be there. And we need to turn to Christ in that moment. We need to look to him in that moment and allow the work of the Holy Spirit who is convicting us to do his work in us. And, and so the question is, is if, I've asked this before, is if the Spirit of God were to speak into your life, would, first of all, would, would you be able to hear him? Or are there too many things going on in your world and too much noise going on that you, you just can't even recognize his voice. And then the question then, not like this is some works-based salvation, but you know, first you, you gotta hear him. If you heard him, would you, would you obey him? Would you listen? Would you say, okay, yeah, spirit, you've, you've done the work that the word tells me that you do in my life and you, I'm under conviction and, and now I have the choice of whether or not I'm going to to obey or whether I'm just gonna continue to run. And so would you hear him? And if you heard him, would you obey? And would you listen? And so condemnation will take this message calls to question God's love. And, and there certainly may be instances where we find God's love doesn't really dwell in our hearts. But again, the invitation is that the spirit, that, that you would allow the spirit of God in a moment of conviction to convict but also to comfort and then to bring you back to the cross. Man, I love what First Corinthians 11, this is a great segue into what we do every week here. And I know I say this a lot, but I'm gonna say it a lot more. This is, this is what I find beautiful about First Corinthians chapter 11. What does it say? Hey, examine yourselves and then eat. And that pushes us right back to 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what a beautiful thing that as you sit in your conviction this morning, you can come to the Lord, you can confess that to him, and what will he do? He will not say, give me a little bit of time and I'll get back. No, the, the only faithful and just response of God is to look at the sacrifice of his son Jesus and to say, that blood has been applied to this child. And if this child will confess I will forgive, I will cleanse, I will pardon abundantly. What a beautiful truth. And so this morning, if you're under this conviction, maybe there's, again, maybe there's a relationship in your life. Maybe there's just a, maybe this is what's more prominent, that's maybe more dangerous and maybe more relevant in here. It's like, maybe there's just a general kind of attitude and posture towards, towards those who we would consider our enemies that is not something that's, birth from the gospel. Maybe there's just some kind of general posture or, 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 or heart position towards those who are not like us that we just need to say, Lord, would you just like cleanse my heart? And again, I'm not your Holy Spirit, but, but let me just say the word instructs us deeply here. 
And I would invite you to heed what the word says and to dig in deeply. If you have questions, let's talk about it. But, but the invitation is that, to, to listen to the spirit of God and then praise Jesus. We can approach the table this morning with confidence, knowing that our sins have been forgiven, that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning um, in your word. We thank you that, first and foremost, you are a gracious and loving God. Um, that, that even your, your wrath and your justice come after endless opportunities, not endless, but, but multiple opportunities to turn and to place our faith and our trust in you. And so, Lord, we, we just acknowledge this morning that for any who don't know you, that, that their day of judgment still awaits them. For those in this room who are your children, their, their day of judgment exists in eternity past because Christ has covered it. And so, Lord, would you just help us to see? Would you help us to, to understand? Would you help us to follow? Um, would you help us to, to, hum, to, to be humble? Lord, repentance in and of itself is, a, is just a, a moment of humility before the Lord. To say, I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm weak, and I need, I need your mercy. And Lord, we know because of your love for us and because of your glory um, that, that you will forgive. You do not only forgive because you love us, you, you forgive because you're glorious. And so we just pray that in this time that we would, we would all in this room experience the forgiveness of God through the death of your son, Jesus, and that the spirit of God, um, as he dwells within us, that we would not be condemned by um, false voices and things that are not true, but Lord, that we, we know that we are kept by you. We pray these things in your name, amen.